Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. Here we are in Isaiah chapter 56. And this this is a chapter where we are kind of seeing a little bit of another transition. We're still dealing with this latter part of Isaiah, dealing with the exile in Babylon and the return from that exile, like we were talking about last time. But now the attention seems to be focused a little bit more on what's been going back, uh, what's been going on back in Judah. Apparently, not very good things, and we've kind of had that already hinted at before. But you you turn that, uh, you see that in verse nine here, uh, in verse ten, his watchmen are blind; they are all without knowledge. So, you know, who are the leaders? Who are the watchmen there in Judah? Uh, but in, in the midst of that, there's kind of two parts to this. In the first part, you have just a beautiful gospel declaration, one of the most inclusive sections, you might say, in Isaiah, where it says here, um, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Uh, no, it, it says that I will give in my house within with my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters uh, for them. So taking a look at some really uh, interesting pieces here as the focus and the perspective kind of shifts. And joining us today, we've got Pastor Thomas Eckstein returning. He's pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back with us today. How are things in Jamestown, North Dakota? Oh, things are good. We've had some cold weather. It's been below zero uh, uh last few mornings but that's we're used to that up here so <laughs> yeah you guys you guys are or yet you had to be hardier folk uh so you guys yeah. you guys can deal it deal with it so <laughs> very, very very good so yeah it, it is it is really interesting it, it's again kind of one of those moments i think this chapter where you're like you know who thought that this should only be like one chapter because like the first half feels <laughs> a little bit different from the second half right oh, sure sure <laughs> yeah but um, I mean, both both sections um, very just interesting. Um, I mean, like just both. I think there's like a lot of I think overlap we see with our own situations too, and our own conversations oh, yeah. today about inclusiveness or exclusiveness and those sorts of things. And on the other hand, um, you know, holding leaders accountable and and leaders um, not fulfilling their their duties. I mean, both of these really topics that are uh, live in our minds today. Exactly. Well, let's go ahead and turn to the text. As we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening today? Yes. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and, and we thank and praise you so much that your salvation extends to all people of all times and places. Lord, we're, we're going to learn today how you, you reach out to those who in the world were often rejected and excluded, and yet your gospel reaches out to them uh, through your Son and claims them uh, as your own. So be with us today, Lord, as we learn about uh, the wonderful uh, uh, work of salvation through your Son, and how he is ultimately our Sabbath, our rest uh, for all eternity. And uh, help us to rejoice in that, especially as we prepare to celebrate his birth this coming Christmas season. Uh, In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So turning to the text then, uh, do you have any thoughts for us and how this follows and what we read in chapter 55? Just refreshing everybody's memory. In 55, we had a really interesting discussion yesterday with Pastor Shank about 
um, really how how you can I mean, there's the two levels here. On the one hand, there's the word, the literally the decree or the message that God had to bring the exiles back out uh, from Babylon into Judah, how that's kind of like his word raining down. But that's also foreshadowing how uh, Christ, the word, rains down from heaven and bears much fruit. Uh, how does how that context, do you think, perhaps uh, transition into what we have today? Well, you know, obviously, even though we have a literal um, uh Exodus in the Old Testament from Egypt, and then we get sort of the same thing happening again when God brings his people back from exile in Babylon. But but this foreshadows the the even greater uh, deliverance, uh, which is uh, the deliverance from our ultimate enemy, uh, our own sin against God. I I think of what the angel says to Joseph, you know, name the baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And and right. so, you know, the, the even greater exodus, uh, uh, the even greater return from exile, you could say, is 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 our deliverance from our own bondage uh, to sin and 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 being set free by the forgiveness and and new life that we have through Jesus. And the way this fits in uh, in Isaiah 56, we're going to see that that uh, God uh, here talks about uh, reaching out uh, beyond just ethnic Israel to to uh, the nations, and, and including you know people who were uh, often excluded for various reasons, um, right. and and how the gospel gives them a hope beyond this world, where where finally everything is healed and restored, and and all are one in Christ. Right. Yeah, I, I think I think that's well said. We saw last time how, you know, we, we read this stuff and, and it's really easy for us just to be like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds great. Yeah, very, very cool. But you, you have to appreciate that, you know, from from a, a Hebrew perspective, um, a long time ago receiving this, some of these words would have perhaps struck a really discordant note. It would have made them feel perhaps even uneasy. Um, and, you know, like we were talking about, you know, just I mean, in the last chapter, how my goodness, God's going to say, okay, I'm going to let my people practically come to nothing for 70 years and then take them out. That, that's how I'm going to save them, right? Um, and then what, what does Isaiah have to say uh, on behalf of God? Well, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Like God works in mysterious ways. Um, and it's just like you were saying, you know, uh, when Joseph hears like, oh, uh, my wife is going to have a child and I don't have uh, anything to do with how that child came right. to be, uh, and this is, is maybe doesn't look very good. Oh, but this is how God's going to save us. And, and, and like you were saying, like he gets the name, you know, Jesus, which means you know Yahweh saves. And so it, it, here it is, God's bringing in foreigners. Foreigners, wait, what? We were supposed to be free from the foreigners. We were we were supposed to have all the foreigners nowhere near God's holy mountain, right? Like that was something that was said earlier in Isaiah. <laughs> but right, here right. it is, God working in this in this mysterious way again, a way that's higher than our own ways. And, and even now, even as we live on this side of the New Testament, we're, we're still in that what you could call that now, not yet experience. You know, even though. We, we have the fulfillment of, of Jesus' work through his death and resurrection. We have forgiveness of sin. We reign with him. And yet Jesus can still stay in, in this world. You will have trouble. You know, you may be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And, and so we still live in this world where, where God's people are not ex- yet experiencing the full, the full fruits of, 
of 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 being completely liberated uh, from from the you know kingdom of evil. I, I think of Romans eight, you know, where Paul talks about how you know yeah, even though we're already saved, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, creation still groans, and and we're right. looking forward to that day when we will have the redemption of our bodies. So uh, j- just like the Old Testament people were still waiting and and yeah. and, and seeing how this would all you know, uh, finally be fulfilled. Yeah, we're, we're still waiting for that final consummation as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's, and there's something, um, yeah, like you were saying too, there's something here about the Sabbath that we really, I think that that connects well to what you just said. Let's go ahead and, and read this first, uh, section on the Sabbath here. Um, I, I might just hit break it in two so we can read the, the first part, uh, maybe just like the first five verses here before um, moving on to the rest of it. So here we are in chapter 56 in the English Standard Version, Isaiah 56, beginning with the first verse. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So in this first section, um, the Sabbath is, it seems, kind of the big opening topic here. Um, but very quickly, kind of within this Sabbath idea, there's the idea of people practicing the Sabbath, particularly uh, foreigners and eunuchs. And, and it's interesting because I, I think that maybe this wouldn't have been the first thing that would have come to our minds when, when you bring up the Sabbath, right? But but right. here, actually, a lot of uh, the verses here are on this eunuch topic. So uh, why is this a, such a prominent idea connected to the Sabbath here? Why, why is it such a big concern, do you suppose, here in this part of Isaiah? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, one of the big things that Jesus was, you know, criticized for was that, oh, He's desecrating the Sabbath. He's 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 allowing yeah. his 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 apostles to pick heads of grain, and then Jesus has this very interesting statement. You know, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, and then right. we think of what Paul writes in Colossians chapter two, where it says, you know, uh, the Sabbath and other uh, ceremonial rituals of the Old Testament were shadows, pictures of Christ. And right. so, I think a good way to understand this here, here you have the foreigner uh, who who you know often felt, well, can I really be part of Israel? Can I really be part of God's people? And then the eunuch, uh, the man who, you know, his, his, you know, physically was altered, uh, especially if he was going to be working with women. But, but, but as a result of that, you know, would not have any offspring. And, and, yeah. and also because of his physical, uh, you know, uh, experience, he was not allowed to, to be directly involved in, in rites in the temple. And uh, so these people who, who you know, maybe felt excluded, God bids them keep my Sabbath. 
But I think we, we have to remember that this is not some legalistic thing. You know, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll be worthy of my love. But we have to understand, observing the Sabbath in a gospel sense, that the Sabbath represents the rest that God gives us in Christ. So, so to, to observe the Sabbath is not some legalistic ritual, which sadly the Jews of Jesus' day, that's how they were seeing it. But the Sabbath in the Old Testament, uh, observing it is actually trusting in the rest that God will ultimately provide in Christ. And of course, we see this in the New Testament once, um, you know, people sometimes wonder today, well, pastor, you know, our, our, you know I read Isaiah 56, you know, are, are we sinning against God by not resting on Saturday? You know, And, mm. and we, we we help them to explain that the the reason we understand uh, how we uh, the Sabbath differently is not that we're thumbing our nose at the third commandment and saying, oh, we're we're not going to rest on the Saturday like God told us to do. We're, we're not just willy nilly, you know, ignoring His His word. But we see how the Sabbath itself in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ. In other words, we now observe the Sabbath by resting in Jesus and His promises uh, every day. And 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 I, I, one favorite verse I have. Uh, is a variant reading from like the 5th hmm. century, uh, Codex Bazai. In, in Luke chapter 6, verse 5, it has Jesus saying that he's uh, uh, one day walking on the Sabbath, and he sees somebody working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, man, if you know what you're doing, you're blessed. But if you do not know, then you're cursed and a transgressor of the law. And I love that because it, it, it's even though it's a variant reading, Jesus is saying, "Hey, if you realize that the Sabbath is fulfilled in me, and you're trusting in me, you're blessed. But if you're just thumbing your nose at God's law and don't know what right. you're doing, then then that's not a good thing." <laughs> so I think yeah. here in the Old Testament, there is this big emphasis, especially here to the foreigners and the eunuchs, observe my Sabbath. But it's all in the gospel sense. In other words, uh, uh, trust in the rest that I give to you, which will ultimately be found in Christ. Yeah, I know that that's well said and, and yeah that that variant reading from Luke. I mean that that is like just a, like an interesting little. I mean we we have things like that too. Like of course like one of the big ones we saw when we were going through John was um the the, the entire episode of the woman caught in adultery, right? Which like just right. isn't in the earliest manuscripts, but that doesn't mean that it's not a legitimate story that I mean maybe maybe it got added later in the manuscript tradition, but it could have really happened <laughs> still, right? Oh, absolutely, because there were there yeah. were lots of stories about the Lord Jesus that were really there that you you couldn't fit everything in. But but yeah, I think I think that's a really great story to illustrate the point you're just making that you know yeah yes are are there certain rules that they were observing about the Sabbath as described in the law of Moses? Yes, right. So it is a matter of law, but. But the deeper matter is a matter of faith. It's the faith that's behind it. Because we saw how, you know, uh, I think just w way back in the very beginning of Isaiah, we saw in chapter 1 how um, it was back in chapter 1, verse 13, right? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure the iniquity and solemn assembly. You know, and, and it goes on, you know, like, this has become a burden to me. I'm weary of this. Your your hands lifted up in prayer are full of blood. I'm not going to listen anymore. You know, so, I mean, it's it's not a matter of just, you know, this external, like, well, if we follow the rules, right, then technically God has to bless us, right? Like, no, technically God doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> he's not, exactly. and he's not uh, you know, at our beck and call, and he's not, you know, obliged to, you know, uh, bless our performance or something like that. He looks at the faith that's behind uh, the hands and um, the external uh, words and actions that are being done. 
Yeah, in fact, one statement, another statement of Christ, I think, speaks to this beautifully. It's, it's at the very end of Matthew 11, and it's just, it's right before an episode where Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath and causes all this turmoil. But at the end of Matthew 11, Jesus has these words that, that everyone knows. Come unto me, all you are weary and burning, and I will give you rest. And, and, and I think this is placed there in Matthew at that section specifically to show that, hey, the, the Sabbath, as we used to understand in the Old Testament, is about to be exploded. I mean, Christ is our rest. You know, and, and, and it's so, you know, people sometimes accuse Lutherans and others of, well, you move the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. No, we never did that. Instead, we, we, this, we realize now the Sabbath is no longer about a day. It's about a person. Uh, and we find our rest in him. Well, and because it's about a person, um, I mean, you could say it's about a sacrament. You know, I mean, like, what did our Lord Jesus do um, to, you know, fulfill the Sabbath? Like, well, I mean, one of the things, you know, he died um, and he was right. just and he was dead for the Sabbath. Right. And so in the logic of Paul, you know, and this is, you know, this great mystery that somehow, you know, God incarnate died. But. Paul then says, you know, we have been crucified with Christ in baptism. If you've been baptized, you've been buried with Christ. I mean, like, if you're baptized, you participate in what our Lord did on the Sabbath, you know, being dead, being dead to the world, being dead to evil. And Luther says you live that out in your baptism every single day. So that that Sabbath rest of of being dead to the ways of the world and um, Satan and all his works through baptism. I mean, that's not something that we just do on Saturdays. It's, it's literally every single day of the life of the Christian. Exactly. Exactly. We, we, we live in a perpetual Sabbath now in Christ. Yeah, uh, trusting that's right. In him. Yeah. Yeah. No, sa- yeah. Sac- sacramentally we experience that. And, and of course, right. As you were saying too, that, you know, the, the, the full Sabbath, Sabbath rest of God, you know, that's, that's also then what we participate in our other sacrament, namely the Lord's Supper, because, you know, that's the foretaste of the feast to come. That's a foretaste of the fulfillment of the Sabbath and the new Jerusalem. Yes, it's a beautiful picture. And and so when we look at this here, uh, you know, uh, God is reaching out uh, to to those who, you know, have normally been excluded and, and showing that, that for those who humble themselves before the Lord, repent and trust in God's mercy in Christ, uh, uh, we, we far from being excluded from God. You know, th- this was the fear of the foreigner. You know, is the Lord going to exclude me because I'm, you know, a Gentile or the eunuch, you know, because cause I'm a dry tree? Am, am I going to be outside? No. Uh, in Christ, uh, all these earthly barriers uh, uh, that, that uh, produced by sin or, or whatever, you know, uh, are, are, are toppled. And, and through repentance and faith in Christ, uh, we, we have, have, we all become part of God's people. And right, uh, it's right. important too, to distinguish that though, from, uh, you know, modern day social justice readings of this text, where, where they turn the gospel merely into, you know, Jesus is reaching out to the socially marginalized. Um, it, uh, uh sure, certainly God wants us to, to reach out to those who, for, for um, you know, worldly reasons are excluded uh, and 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 should otherwise be embraced. But but he is not thereby uh, uh, I- I- you know ignoring sin. You know right. uh, we we often hear people use these texts to say, well you know, 
the, the church used to, to consider, you know, uh, abortion or, or same-sex behavior uh, or adultery sinful. But, you know, we're more enlightened now, and, and, and these people that used to be excluded, God now affirms, you know, well, no, that's not what these texts are talking about. No, yeah, well, well, yeah, I mean, because, I mean, I mean, yeah, look at the obvious here, right? I mean, it's like, he's not saying, like, well, the, the eunuchs and the foreigners, like, well, yeah, you know, you guys keep on doing your thing, whatever you want, and, like, it, I'm, we're just cool now. No, I mean, like, he specifically says, like, it's the foreigners and the eunuchs who are keeping the Sabbaths. I mean, it's like the ones who are, like, actually, it says they're right, the ones who are holding fast my covenant, right? So it's the people who, like, are actually participating in the life of God's people, of God's covenant community. Those are the ones that are saved because they're a part of the people of God, um, not because yes. God's just, like, saying, like, oh, you know, we're we're just all right. Um, and, and furthermore, this is something that I only noticed, um, you know, somewhat recently that, you know, why is it talking about the foreigners and the eunuchs? Right. And um, it might just, you know, we might just think, well, this is just these are really good examples of people who are socially marginalized. Well, I mean, there were a few different groups that you could have been talking about. But I think in the context, right, it's interesting how this really does seem to reach back to chapter 55. And we just read that verse five. Um, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That seems to mirror the last verse of 55, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Uh, it seems like there's something going on here. You look at 55, and what did we see last time? Well, the idea is fruitfulness, right? The, the rain and the snow, they come down from heaven, they go into the earth, and they make it bear fruit. Um, and then so similarly, we had all this language in the last couple of chapters about um, you're going to have so many kids that there's not going to be enough room for them in, in the promised land. You're, you're, the one who was barren is going to have tons of kids and, and she will be uh, named blessed. Right. Um, and all the rest of it. So, you know, there's this idea of fruitfulness. And then who would that who would feel uncomfortable when talking about fruitfulness and having lots of kids? Well, People who can't have kids and people who are foreigners who are concerned that like, oh, like, are, are we allowed? Like, are, are my kids like really part of the community? Like in right. the context, these are the people who would be squirming the most. And God's saying, hey, look, guys, no, don't worry about that. And the, the Sabbath is really God being inclusive because, hey, you know what? They can't, you know, like someone like a eunuch can't have kids, but he can keep the right. Sabbath. Right. I mean, so so it's a way of giving them something to to be a be part of the community it's not like that they're um you know being being given like burdensome laws but uh certainly i, I want to give you a chance to kind of build on that but we do have a call actually from steve in st louis good morning steve in st louis <laughs> how's it going brother how are you doing fine fine uh i had just uh this might be not quite appropriate i just had a I had struggled with the Sabbath a little bit. I knew a Seventh-day Adventist, and we talked about that. Okay. And, you know, when, when you have the Ten Commandments, of course, the only ceremonial one in there is the Sabbath. All mm. the others, you can say, oh, definitely, we shouldn't do this. But, mm. then, you know, we shouldn't murder and all that. And then you have the Sabbath. It's like, well, what do you do with that one? And then uh, one of the things I was thinking about, I don't know if this is captures all the answer, but, you know, Jesus did the do not murder for me. Mm -hmm. Jesus did the do not commit adultery for me. Jesus did do the, all those other commandments, and he also kept that one. And that's what the perspective that I'm taking now on how to explain to somebody uh, that the Sabbath is not 
something that is made for us to, quote, keep. Uh, and I wanted to see what, what your thought on that is, because it kind of puts it in. He was the he was the one that kept the Sabbath, and, he, of course, he is the Sabbath, too. But um, I, I just wanted to throw that out. I'm just yeah. it's something I meld over just recently and kind of yeah. said, oh, well, he kept the do not murder. He kept the Sabbath. He kept all these. So all of these he's already done for me. Um, right. Yeah. Well, th- thank you. That's it. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's a really good question. And I, and I think it, it's, I don't think it's, uh, it, it's at all just like a speculative question. I think it's a very practical one. It's what a joy it is to talk with our fellow Christians and even our fellow Christians that, you know, we don't necessarily see in church on Sunday because they're worshiping somewhere else. It's a blessing to, uh, to have those conversations with them, but it can be troubling sometimes when you're talking with our, you know, um, you know, friends who are attending the seventh day Adventist church, because yeah, there's like, they'll, they'll say, well, doesn't that seem inconsistent? It seems like, you know, you're, you're being very, uh, you know, metaphorical or, you know, being very loose with the, the Sabbath commandment, but you're being, you know, very strict and to the letter with all the other nine. So isn't that a little inconsistent? Um, what, what, what do you make of that, Pastor Eckstein? Well, first of all, just even Luther's take, when you, when you look at his explanation of the third commandment, uh, uh, do not despise preaching in the word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. It's interesting, he doesn't mention anything about a day there. He doesn't even mention anything about resting from physical work. It's about trusting God's word. Uh, uh, not doubting, but uh, holding it sacred and, and, and trusting it and gladly hearing it and learn it. And so I think you have to make a distinction between what I would consider to be the, the essence of what the Sabbath means in Scripture and then the, the, the ritual, the ceremonial ritual of Israel. So to remember the Sabbath day is to remember that when God created the world, uh, he rested on the seventh day not because he was tired, but because it was all very good. It was perfect. And we would have continued to have a perpetual Sabbath with God, resting in his word, uh, if, if uh, sin had not entered. And what was the first sin did God really say? And in, in the word, right. we, lost this, we lost this eternal Sabbath. How? By doubting God's word. <laughs> by, Absolutely. by not trusting his word. So and I think the, that the distinction that you just, I'm sorry to, to, to jump in really quick. I think the distinction you yeah. just made between kind of like the letter and then like the real essence and like what's behind it, right? I think that's yeah. a really, really key distinction. Uh, we're actually already a little bit late in going to our break, but I want, I want you to be able to continue this point here when we get back. Everybody, please sit tight. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 56 here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. This is Pastor John Veeker, Senior Assistant to President Harrison here in St. Louis. Agnus Day Liturgical Arts continues the fine tradition of proclaiming the gospel through Christian art, through the production of altarpieces, paintings, and drawings. Agnus Day Liturgical Arts portrays the gospel in all its splendor. Their website is agnusdayarts.com. That's A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I arts.com. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, 
If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. For over 150 years, Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Orchard Farm has been a place for people to worship God and to reflect on the love of Christ in St. Charles, Missouri. With a deep desire to live out the Christian faith, Trinity continues to heed the call of Christ to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're joined today by Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 56. We just read the first five verses. There's a couple of these different ideas here. We're talking about Sabbath observance. We're talking about how the foreigners and the eunuchs feel about this whole idea of being fruitful, you know, kind of hard to to be fruitful when, you know, in the words of the verse, uh, the third verse there, behold, I'm a tree, uh, right? Eunuch's not having any kids, so what's his place in the people of God? Uh, so looking at this idea of the Sabbath, we also had a call uh, from Stephen St. Louis, and I think, thank you for that, for calling in. Uh, just, you know, hang on a second. Is it really consistent to kind of like have a very loose application of the third commandment, you know, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy and say, oh, well, you know, the, the Sabbath is like every day, right? But to be kind of literal about, you know, one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? That, that apparently feels inconsistent. But uh, Pastor Eckstein was just starting to get into a really, a really good answer, making a couple of distinctions, particularly about the, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. I do want to encourage everybody listening live, if you do have um, any other questions or comments for us on this chapter, please do call in. You can call 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So, Pastor Eckstein, yes, uh, please so, apologize for the interruption. Please go ahead and continue. You were talking about the distinction between... Um, I mean, both both the spirit of the law and the letter of the law, and also how Luther's application on the third commandment, how it, the the heart of it is really about honoring the word and not necessarily the day that you're doing it on. Exactly. You know, I'll just briefly mention that Luther in his explanation of the third commandment in his catechism doesn't say anything about a day or even rest from physical work. It's about trusting God's word. And so to remember the Sabbath day is to remember, hey, the world was made perfect. At the end of the sixth day, God rested, not because he was tired, but because it was very good. It was perfect. So how was it lost? Did God really say? Doubting God's word, the Sabbath, the eternal Sabbath was lost. But it's regained again in Christ, who, who, who pays for our sin of doubting God's word. And what I find very interesting, too, is just as God finished his perfect work of creation at the end of the sixth day, Jesus finishes his work of redemption at the end of the sixth day. And what does he say? In John, it is finished. And then I find it very interesting that John says, and the next day was a special Sabbath. Uh, you bet it was. <laughs> God rested from yeah. his work. 
<laughs> and right. and so the way that the church has always understood this, I I, I, I don't like the idea that we're loose with the third commandment. I, I don't think we're loose with it. We see that how it's been fulfilled in Christ. Uh, right. He uh, uh, not only kept God's word perfectly for us, but I, I would argue that the Old Testament ritual of physically resting from work on the seventh day was a picture of Christ's rest in the tomb. You know, Jesus is Israel reduced to one, and, and he, he, he rests from his work on the seventh day, only to rise on the eighth day, which becomes uh, the, the beginning of the new creation, so that now in Christ, every day is a Sabbath. So really, the third commandment for us is about trusting in Christ and his word and all that he's done for us. That that's well said, I, and I agree. I don't think that we're being loose with the third commandment. I mean, like if you look at the actual text in Exodus, I mean, it, if you're going to come down on it and say, like, you know, like, you know, say say that you're talking to somebody and they say, "Hey, you Lutherans, you're you're being really like loose and metaphorical with this." Like, well, go go back and look at the text. Right? What's it say? You know, six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath. You, you you come back like so so hang on a second you're saying that you don't ever take sunday off like you you work sunday through friday like every week and you don't you only have one day off every week um i mean like what does it say right that you know in six days you're going to do all your labor your um you know your son your daughter your male servant your female servant or your livestock right like do, do you have livestock i mean like I'm, I'm saying this not because not because I think this is like a very nice rebuttal or the one that you should use, but just kind of thinking about it critically here. I mean, the whole thing is talking about this very specific context of God's people, right? I mean, like right. the the whole of chapter 20 is like, you know, this is how you're going to live in the land that I'm giving to you. And literally speaking, none of us are living. I mean, at least, you know, most of the people listening this morning, none of us are living in the land that was literally no. given to Moses, right? I mean, so it's like, you know, the, on one hand, it's like, if you're, if you're really consistent, you know, like we're not really super strict, literal, like word for word, letter for letter about, about any of it. And then on the other side, uh, it's, it's to the distinction that you made um, just, a, just a minute ago, brother, that really, what's our Lord say about the commandments? He says, guys, if you really want to uh, actually fulfill the commandment, do not commit adultery, you can't even look at a woman with a whiff of lust in your heart. If you want to actually uh, keep the fifth commandment, you can't ever get angry with anyone or, or say any unkind thing to anyone ever. I, I mean, like when, when he goes through and he says, that's really what the commandments entail, then it doesn't become a conversation of like, well, I'm keeping nine of the commandments, but I choose not to, 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 to follow one of them. It's, Actually, I break all of them all the time, right. and I try, I try hard not to, but when I look at what our Lord teaches, like we, we break them every day all the time when you really fully appreciate what's behind them, what Luther was trying to help us see, um, what, what our Lord uh, taught us, what's behind each of the commandments, as you were saying. Right. In fact, even even the fifth commandment, you, you know, thou shalt not murder. Jesus, like Luther does in his catechism, Jesus also explains it in a positive way. It's not yep. just about not hurting people; it's about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute yep. you. And and then even the fourth commandment has, uh, you know, when Paul uh, explicates that in, in Ephesians six, you know, the, the promise in the Old Testament was, you know, you live long in the land, as in, you know. 
uh, the, the land of Judea. But, but then Paul expands that to the whole earth. You know, you'll live long on the earth. So we, yes. we see uh, other commandments, too, uh, are, are exploded, you might say. Or, or, you know, it's like when you put, uh, I think that's Jesus' whole point, when you put new wine in the old wineskins, it ain't going to work. You, right. have, you have no. to see all these commandments fulfilled in Christ. That's right. Yeah, when, when you try on your own to try to really fulfill them, you can't fulfill any of them. The only way that you can fulfill them is to basically uh, let let Christ fulfill it for you, and that's exactly I think what what James what you were, what you were saying when you called in that you know it, the only way to fulfill these things is to fulfill them in Christ. So or uh, uh, Steve, I'm sorry, uh, but yes, yeah, so let's keep moving on though. Um, really good discussion about the Sabbath. We do need to uh, press on. Let me read the next three verses at least and kind of uh, close out this section. We can maybe have like one or two more uh, concluding thoughts on this first half of the chapter, and then we should turn to the second half of the chapter, because it is uh, a very abrupt turn, you might say. So uh, here's, yes, so here's the next three verses, beginning at verse 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Mm-hmm. So just really powerfully uh, completing the thought there, just you know, proclaiming this, this gospel message, really, um, that... It, God doesn't want to just bless this one particular people, but he wants to bring all peoples to himself. And, and it's something that we see that, that literally happened to a certain extent in the exile, that there, that there were people who apparently were in, living in Babylon who came with the exiles, um, like in the same way that there were people who left Egypt with the Israelites yeah. at the Exodus, right? God's always been doing this. It's not like in B.C. times, like God was like, well, just just the Judahites, and I don't really care about the rest. No, I mean, he's always had this view. When our Lord speaks the words of the Great Commission, he's really just fulfilling what God had been doing all along. All along. Or we even think already back in Genesis 12, you know, Abraham, yeah. through your seed all nations will be blessed. You know, it's, it's right. been there all along. Yes. So, so right. So you have this, you know, and, and actually this is helpful, too, in these verses. It's not just the Sabbath. You know, it mentions, you know, holds fast my covenant, um, and, and all the rest. It's, it's you know, talking about the faith that's behind those things. It's not any one particular observance. It's pretty clear right. from from these words there. Well, <clears throat> I think we should go ahead and turn to the second half, though, because it is, I mean, it is just, it seems to totally shift the topic, like, you know, in I don't, I don't, I hesitate to say it, but, you know, like in like the Espinosa edition, maybe the chapter begins here at verse nine, right? But you don't want that edition. So we're just going to keep reading. Uh, but, but we, but we will stop and consider that this is a, this is a new thought. So yeah. let's read the last four verses and consider what's going on here. So picking it up at verse nine, all you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. 
They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let's fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. So, I mean, you know, just words that are uh, accusatory, confrontational, right? I mean, not at all <laughs> like the first half, which is very, you know, just uh, just very like reassuring and consoling, right? So now d- different situation, though, apparently, it seems like we've shifted from talking about, um, you know, the eunuchs who might be among the, the exiles, right? We, we saw earlier in Isaiah that, you know, uh, when, when Babylon came and, and deported the people, it forced some of the, the people to, to be eunuchs so that they would serve in the, the Babylonian court, right? So it seems like we're talking about kind of two different groups of people, it, it seems, right? Right. In fact, here, you know, we, we, we go from the, the, those, the foreigners, the eunuchs who would be kind of on the lower rung and excluded even, to here the watchmen. You know, those who would consider themselves prophets and, and maybe even part of the Levitical priesthood, those who, who should be the, the spiritual leaders of Israel. But unfortunately, they're not speaking God's truth in love. Uh, they're, they're like dogs, uh, you know, watchdogs that never bark, <laughs> that they yep. never warn of, yep. of an intruding, uh, you know, threat. And, and, and so they're not, they're not using God's word to speak, as Lutherans would say, law and gospel. They're just uh, saying what people want to hear as long as it strengthens their position of power and security. And uh, they're, they're just happy with the way things are, uh, and they don't want to risk losing the good life uh, by speaking anything that might be controversial. So, right. uh, uh, And God, God completely rebukes them for, for this uh, uh, right. unfaithfulness on their part. Yeah, no, and th- thank you. That that really, I, I like the idea, right, of of that watchdog metaphor. You know, it's sort of it's sort of interesting and, and perhaps humbling, right, as a as a pastor to consider that oh. we are compared to dogs. Um, <laughs> you know, which is we, we yeah we we serve we 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 definitely are humble servants of of God. Yeah, and and like I'm glad you said it's it's a humbling thing because there isn't a day that goes by. I think I think of the requirements for the office, you know, that we find in the pastoral epistles, and or I read this text and I realize, you know, except by the grace of God, I could be like this. You know, there, yeah. there isn't a day where as a pastor I don't need to repent and ask God to help me to be faithful and to speak God's truth and love. And, and even though I thank God every day for my faithful members who support me and, and, and encourage me, I, I've also had to learn in my 30 years of ministry that, that speaking God's truth, even if you do it lovingly and gently, you're sometimes going to get pushback big time from those yeah. who don't want to hear the word. And, and, and to compromise in order to avoid that uh, is yeah. always a temptation. And so, you yeah. know, May God help us uh, shepherds to remain faithful uh, to speak God's truth and love for the sake of his people. Amen. I mean, and it's such a rich metaphor. I mean, this idea, you know, I mean, like a, a dog is supposed to bark when danger is near, right? I mean, like, some, sure, someone might, you know, and this is, <laughs> I'm, I'm like thinking of like my own experience with dogs and particularly my, my parents' dogs, right? And, you know, like the doorbell rings, right? And then the, the dogs, right? They start losing their minds, right? And, 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 you know, that's a nuisance, right? And you're like, you know, be quiet. Don't worry about it. You know, calm down, right? You know, and so there's this there's this part of us that's like we would prefer that the dog just never bark. Like, you know, come on, it's fine. 
but like you know uh, in in the sense of a watchdog they are supposed to bark when something looks out of place and looks wrong and so similarly i think that according to our sinful nature we would all prefer pastors that always just pat us on the back and are always telling us about just just kind of nice things you know pastor like why can't you just you know say things that are nice and uplifting why do you have to be controversial why do you have to bark you're so noisy right i I mean like i mean think about it i mean but but the thing is it's like what what's a what's a dog supposed to be right i mean this is this this is i think really humbling right you know pastors are sometimes described as i mean i don't i don't know like intelligent inspiring like you know i mean at least the ones that you like right (laughs) you you might use these words described in that way but what's a dog supposed to be is a dog supposed to be you know like you know, oh, so clever and inspiring and all the rest. Like more than anything, a dog just needs to be faithful. A dog just needs exactly. to do what he's told. And and that's ultimately what pastors need to do more than anything else, to do what exactly. the Lord tells them to do. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think of what Paul says, uh, and again, I, I hear these words in, in, in humble repentance, but Paul says, you know, in the latter days, people will gather around themselves pastors or teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. And, you know, that's always a temptation. I mean, uh, especially as a pastor, if, if, if you tell people what they want to hear, life can be really good. and and uh but uh like you said we're called to bark and that doesn't mean we're obnoxious or rude but it does mean that we speak god's law in all its severity and and purity especially on issues in our culture where god's word is being compromised and and we need to to speak the truth uh, uh on that and even though it might be painful to hear we need to do it uh of uh not only out of love for god but love for his people because uh, we, we all, every one of us, need to be called to repentance every day. And then, of course, pointed to Christ in whom we have forgiveness and, and new life with God. Right. You know, and, and, that's, and that's how these animal metaphors all fit together. That, like, you know, I mean, we're, we're shepherds, right? Because what happens when the shepherd doesn't do his job? Well, the sheep, they go astray. They get lost. They get eaten by wolves, right? Um, you know, what, what happens when the watchdog doesn't, doesn't bark? You know, like in, intruders come in. Uh, so all these, you know, these animal metaphors are are really there to show like, hey, the watchmen, you know, like you were saying that the prophets, the the priests, uh, the, the religious leaders, right, they need to fulfill this function or else bad things happen. The, the people suffer because of it. Um, it might in the short term seem like, oh, like they're being nice or something like that, right? But in the big picture, it's not good. And <clears throat> striking that this is not the first place we've gotten these animal metaphors. I mean, we've seen them throughout, way back in uh, Isaiah chapter 11. We saw like all those animal metaphors, like the lion and the lamb and the ox and the bear and the child and the adder, right? Um, every time that these, these animal metaphors show up, right, they represent different kinds of people. And, and so one of the things, you know, uh, I don't want to make, make sure we don't skip over it, what do you think is going on in verse 9? All you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest. So who who is that referring to? Who's Who are these wild animals supposed to represent? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and in my opinion, and others might have a different take on this, but in my opinion, um, uh, th- this is God's way of, of warning 
the watchmen of Israel that, hey, I'm going to marshal, you know, uh, uh, whatever, whether it's literal beasts or whether it's armies or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, my faithful prophets. I, I, I have the ability and the resources to, 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 to take you guys out. <laughs> to right. to uh, send adversity to devour you. So, you know, because at the end of Isaiah 56, you have these unfaithful watchmen thinking, oh, today's been a good day, and tomorrow's going to be just as good. We're going to keep on partying. And God's saying, uh-uh, uh, I, I have the resources, uh, beasts that can devour you. You know, repent while you still can, because uh, I'm not going to be patient forever. I think that's what God is saying here. Yeah, yeah, I think it is striking, right, that like at the end in verse 12, it's like, hey, let's get some wine and let's just, you know, drink up, right? And every day is just going to be awesome, Um, where in verse 9, like at the beginning, it's like, hey, there's these beasts who devour, on the other hand, right? There there seems to be kind of a little bit of a... Of a, of a pattern there where the beginning kind of sounds like the end and and, and yeah it's a, very often when you, when you have any picture of especially just kind of wild animals you know beasts of the field that that basically means wild animals in the hebrew idiom that that very often refers to foreigners foreign peoples yeah. um in in the bad sense in the these are the people who are gunning for you sense right? right the people that you're supposed to be like looking looking out for so yeah i, I mean think, so I think quick- especially you know how god uh, in this section of isaiah where we had the good news hey i liberated you from babylon you know but it's yeah. almost like he's reminding them you know i did once use babylon to take out unfaithful israel i i can do it again you know, and uh, he's just uh, making it very clear to them that that even though God is a merciful God who forgives, if, if we become comfortable with our sin, uh, God, uh, uh, out of love for us, will take us out and humble us so that that we hopefully can be saved. Well, well, right, and and then well, so something that I was going to suggest here. I mean, like certainly there is that kind of military, like you know, take them out kind of sense. That I mean, this is what happened, right? I mean, it's what happened with the Babylonian captivity. It's what happened with the Assyrians. They came and they literally um, did violence. But there, there's one other way that that these foreign powers come and they you know devour in a sense. Um, and, and that's through the, the kind of, I mean, it's like what happened, you know, on the plains of Moab back in Numbers, right? They come in with their false gods and their idols and their false worship, and Israel gets entangled and ensnared. And when when we looked at, we, we saw Ezra not too long ago, when the exiles returned to Judah, it looked like, hey, that's exactly what happened. The beasts of the field had come into Judah and what was left was not really the people of God, but just like a, a bunch of people who, you know, used to be Judahites, right? But who now right. were worshiping all kinds of other gods and who had gotten into all kinds of other things. And, and why was this allowed to happen? Because the watchmen were blind and because the dogs didn't bark when they should have, right? So right. I, I wonder if it refers to that historical moment as well, that just that that's what's going to happen to us. We're, we're devoured, you know, Satan, you know, is crouching at our doorstep waiting to devour um, not necessarily by attacking us with violence, but sometimes by just attacking us and ensnaring us and engulfing us in idolatry. Right. And that would be a good example where sometimes God's judgment, you think of Romans 1, where uh, he just gives people over to their unrepentant right. sin. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and again, 
not not that God uh, ever necessarily gives up on anybody. We know that He wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But sometimes He He, he lets us get burned by our own rebellion, and 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 right. in, in a way to to finally help us realize how you know sin may be pleasant for a while, false gods may be appealing, but in the end, it all leads to suffering and death. Right. And, and so and so that's something that, you know, it was it was a problem in that situation where there was, you know, literate, literal idolatry going on. Um, it was something that was going on in the day of our Lord Jesus because, you know, they thought like, well, hey, we don't literally have any idols, you know, in our temple. We got rid of like uh, the, the statue of Zeus and all that. Right. But as our Lord says, you know, there was idolatry of the heart. Right. And that's yeah. the, the situation that we relate to as well, even even when we don't have, you know, actual physical idols, literal, you know, images, right? Using the language of, uh, you know, the first, uh, the first commandment, we we make these images in our hearts when we say, you know, hey, uh, you know, we we have to have this happen, you know, this political goal has to be realized, or you know, I really have to have this in my life, you know, or else it's just, you know, well, how can I enjoy myself? And we 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 come up with these things um, that really really are idols that become these ultimate goods for us. Only a minute left here. Uh, some concluding thoughts anyway, kind of stepping back and looking at this chapter uh, as a whole. I would say, and I, I agree with you, it should almost be two chapters here, but yeah. I, I think, you know, the good news here is that that when we're finally broken, like you said, when we finally get to the point where we realize we none of us have kept the law, we haven't really kept the Sabbath either. Uh, we deserve God's wrath, and then this good news that that uh, I am your Sabbath rest. You know, come to me. Uh, I, I will I will make you part of, of an everlasting family. Uh, I, I will embrace you uh, as my own. Uh, we we have this good news here that no matter how far we may have strayed from God or how far we think we are from His kingdom, uh, in Christ uh, we we have forgiveness and an adoption and and an eternal family to look forward to. So there's there's great comfort here uh, for those who are broken sinners and know it. Amen. Amen. Well said. Well, brother, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. I'm glad that the the signal cooperated for the rest of the time here. Uh, God's peace be with you during the rest of this Advent time and blessings on your Christmas celebration. Yes, you also. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Uh, thanks for joining us today, looking at Isaiah chapter 56. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 57 next time. So speaking of idolatry, like we just mentioned, right? There it is in the next chapter here. So stick around for that. Always remember that you can check out our podcast if you're missing any episodes. You're wondering, hey, what was that in the last chapter? Check that out. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Till next time, everybody, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.